Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. If you are visiting with us today, we are... um we have actually two weeks left. Uh, we're in the season of Christmas, and this, this uh, particular sermon series that we have been, been working through is for both Advent and Christmas, and so this is Christmas 1. Next year, New Year's Day, we'll have another uh, sermon out of this sermon series called Pure Imagination. Go ahead, Chris. We can go ahead and, and start that. And you'll probably recognize um, there's a, a little bit of music here that you'll be able to hear. If you're again, if you're visiting, you you won't know this, but we have been working through um, <laughs> Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory because you know church, right? So we're working through Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and in particular, trying to find ways that uh, this particular movie can help us to understand some things about life, about these scriptures that we've been handed. But I have to tell you that there is a scene in this movie that it's troublesome to me, and it is in the very old version and in this newer version, too, very troublesome to me. Um, it is the scene that depicts Grandpa Joe and all of the grandparents like this. <laughs> I just like the picture of, of depression for me. I mean, I mean, look at this. I mean, what, it's like they are always in bed. It is, it is like they have sort of assumed this position of death. What are they waiting on? Just think about it. What, what are these folks waiting on? I mean, you can even hear it in the, in the song that Grandpa Joe, in this particular rendition of the movie, you can even hear it. He even speaks to it that there was nothing for him. There was no hope. It was really all darkness. This is a very disturbing image to me, and maybe it's disturbing to me because I see it. Uh, I see it, and sometimes those folks actually do some of the energy to come to church, right? So I see it outside of this room, but I also see it sometimes inside the room. People are confronted by darkness. People are confronted by hopelessness. People are confronted by deathly circumstances and situations in which they see no way forward, in which they see no hope. They seem to be resigned to kind of assuming the position of death and deathliness, and they just dream of somewhere else. Well, in this case, then you have a golden ticket, right? The golden ticket changes everything. Charlie comes back with this golden ticket. And, and strangely enough, uh, Joe, who seems to have some trouble getting up out of bed and has trouble walking around, there's something about this golden ticket gives him the capacity not just to get up out of bed and not just to walk around, but to dance around even, right? And that is a really long clip. I'm not going to play it. But the one in the more recent movie is a little bit shorter and I think even more stark. And it goes like this. Now, my question for us today, uh, are you closer to the guy laying in the bed or the guy doing the jig? Are you closer in terms of your mindset and heart set, your outlook, 
Where the future is concerned, you find yourself identifying more with the granddad that was still in the bed or more with Grandpa Joe. Listen, there are perfectly legitimate reasons to wonder whether or not God's in control. There are perfectly legitimate reasons to sense this encroaching darkness. There's perfectly legitimate reasons. As a matter of fact, if you felt that or you feel that, you're in pretty good company because it seems as though if you, if you actually carefully read through our story, Scripture, there, you'll see several different times when the people of God feel like a tree that's been cut all the way down to a stump. Um, there was this guy by the name of Abram and his wife by the name of Sarai. And in an era when it was a bad thing to be childless, they were childless. They were childless. And not only were they childless, they were super old, super, super, I mean like older than 40. I can say that now, I'm 49. But old enough that no one would ever expect that there would be children. Then there was this other story. The people of God had, had found themselves uh, up against the world superpower known as the Egyptian Empire. And they were subordinated and subjugated and enslaved and powerless. And they got up every morning wondering if it would be their last. And they were stuck. Then there was this period, actually there's two chapters in our story that can probably, probably be labeled as exile. The Assyrians, the Assyrians just came in and wiped out Israel. In fact, so thoroughly wiped out Israel that Israel ceased to exist, the northern kingdom ceased to exist. In fact, you all are familiar with the term Holocaust, but before the Holocaust, there was a Holocaust known as the exile, and it happened twice. Because after the Assyrians, Conquest. There was the Babylonian conquest. And the people of God were ripped out of the southern kingdom and out of the capital city, Jerusalem. The temple was shot. <laughs> the temple was knocked down and it was dark and it was hopeless. The people of God, even the prophets, saw the darkness and the hopelessness. There was this time when God took Ezekiel out to this, this far off place and he said, look, what do you see? And Ezekiel said, oh, I see a field Full of bones. The very stench of death. And what's worse, it wasn't just bones, it was dry bones. <laughs> There's no life and there hasn't been any life in a really, really long time. A really, really long time. So if you feel like today that you have reached your limit, if you've, that you've hit a wall, that your life is more about darkness than it is about life, if you, if you seem a little bit more like the granddad in the bed than the one dancing the jig, you are chronically normal, chronically human. But God. But God. I'm telling you these stories from our story. And by the way, this is how we understand Scripture. If, if you come here for any length of time, uh, we do not understand Scripture as something like a cookbook, right? If you take a little bit from over here in the Gospel of Matthew and a little bit over here from Ezekiel and you kind of put it all together, eventually you have this sweet-smelling life. That's, that's, not, that's not what we do. It's a story. And in that it's a story, 
When we faithfully retell it, we retell all of the ugly, dark stories that seem like a tree cut off to a stump. But we also tell all those stories that allow us to say, in those dark times, deathly times, hopeless times, but God. Abram and Sarai, no way they could have kids. Physiologically impossible, but God. These slaves in Egypt, completely outmatched. They would have made sure that these little Jewish slaves, these Hebrew slaves, had no weapons. And up against this limitless resource known as the Egyptian Empire, this was not even a fair fight, but God. Yes, there was a holocaust, and yes, there was then another holocaust, and we'll say more about this in a second, but God. And yes, this was a valley of dry bones, dry bones, but God breathes. And when God breathes, things change. And there's life where there was death. But these people, certainly, these people were stuck. Now we're going back to the second exile. These are words written to people still suffering exile, but something is changing. But before it completely changes, you can't really fault these ancient Israelites for feeling like they're in a very dark place where there was no dancing. In fact, you're probably better served just to stay in bed. God says through the prophets to these people, you have forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. One of the things that you see if you survey Scripture and you follow the contour of the story, right? One of the things that you see is that you see, you see God who is constantly creating and then recreating and imagining and then reimagining, pursuing and rescuing and liberating. That's what God does. Now, the way God does it seems to change chapter to chapter to chapter to chapter. So God really likes doing new things. But all of it's in keeping with God's nature and character. And man, we may not sense it, but that's a really good place for an amen. Whatever God does, God does in keeping with God's nature and character to save and pursue and liberate. And all of God's people said, amen and whew. <laughs> now that doesn't mean that God will only do what God has done. Because God seems to like doing new things. Now, in keeping with who God is, but new things, God likes to do new things. And that's a good thing if you're in a dark place, if you're in a hopeless place, if you're in a deathly place, it's a good thing that you serve a God who likes to do new things. So, you have this. These are the verses that are kind of a run-up to what Mindy read for us today. I'm going to actually start back in verse 4. God is surveying the landscape and sees that again God's people have been carried off into exile. Again, they've been throwed, thrown in, throwed, what am I? <laughs> thrown into, uh, I'll get an email about that one. John, it is thrown, it's not throwed. Got it, got it. God's people have been thrown into exile, into captivity, into bondage, into deathly places. For thus says the Lord God, long ago my people went down into Egypt to reside there as aliens. 
The Assyrian, too, has oppressed them without cause. Now, therefore, what am I doing here, says the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away again without cause? Their rulers howl, says the Lord, and continually, all day long, my name is despised. Because when you're laying in that bed and it's dark and it's hopeless, one of the things you say is, God failed me. Clear my throat and say, that if you're walking and breathing, and if you've had a bad day, it is possible that that thought has crossed your mind. Maybe at some point, you are one of those people who said, God, I thought you were good. God, I thought you were big. God, I thought you were there. God, I thought. Drop this in right here, and by the way, this is completely free of charge. You're thinking those thoughts, as terrible as they might be, still don't change God's mind about you. It still doesn't change God's mind about you, and it still doesn't change the nature and character of God, which is to pursue and help and care and liberate. So even on the days when you are at your greatest old Grandpa Joe, When you wonder, and maybe even out loud, when people are listening, whether or not God is God, two things, God is God, and God still loves you, and God is still working for your good and moving and helping. So though the leaders of the people of Israel are despising God and cursing God, God is busy doing something new. Okay, historical backdrop. Let me tell you what God is doing that's new. So the Babylonians came and they wiped out Jerusalem. They, they wiped out the temple. They, they tore down the wall around Jerusalem. It looks for all intents and purposes like the battle is completely over. The people of God, most of them at least, are, have been ripped out of their homes and forced to live somewhere else all over the countryside. Many of them are living in hiding. And then God does the unthinkable. God defeats the Babylonians with the Persians of all people. But the prophets have been saying, you know, God's going to hand it to the Babylonians sooner or later. God's going to do something, and he may even make use of another country. Well, he did. The Persian Empire wipes out the Babylonians. And then the Persians, now the biggest bully on the block, clear the path and make it possible for the people of God to come home to Jerusalem. And the Bible says, yeah, God works like that sometimes. Sometimes God can use people who don't know that they're being used by God to accomplish the purposes of God because God is, in fact, that big, that smart. And so God uses Xerxes. God uses Cyrus, kings of Persia, to accomplish God's will, whether they knew it or not. The battle's been fought and it's over. But in a time before mail, in a time before email, It's possible that people are still fighting a battle or worried about a battle that's still being fought when in reality, miles away, it's really over, and so a messenger comes running. A messenger comes running. Therefore, my people shall know my name. This is God getting ready to do something. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here am I. 
How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace. Now, this is the person running from the battle lines, from the front, saying, oh, man, I just heard this. I just saw this with my own eyes. God has used Persia to defeat the Babylonians, and the path has been cleared for all of us to come home. He's running through the countryside. He's running to all these hidden places. He's running to all of these ruins, announcing this victory, saying, everything is about to change. Everything is about to change. Who brings good news, who announces salvation, and by the way, salvation here and throughout the book of Isaiah is not simply saving you from your sins. As good as that is and as important that is, this has more skin on it than that. Your life is about to be salvaged who says to Zion, we were right all the time, our God is the biggest God. Your God reigns. Mindy read it, listen, your sentinels lift up their voices, together they sing for joy, for in plain sight they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. Verse 10, the Lord has bared his holy arm. You can just see the strength of his arm. And before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth, all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. So this messenger is bringing news of a conquering God. This messenger is bringing news of a victory already won. This messenger is bringing the news that God is returning to God's place, that God is coming back, and so we can go back with God. God is coming here, and since God is coming here and God is coming near, everything's going to be okay. In other words, the messenger seems a lot like John the Baptist. Now, we have another passage of Scripture that I'm handed today on Christmas Sunday morning, and it is John 1, and I love this. And I'm going to read a few verses to you from John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But later on, you have these verses about John the Baptist, starting with verse 6. There was a man sent from God. Now, this is the messenger, the one who has beautiful feet, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. So in Isaiah 52, the messenger was bringing this message, that, which was, God has won, the Persians have defeated the Babylonians, and we all get to go back home. In the Gospels, John the Baptist is the messenger, and here is his message. His message is Jesus. You can't see it, perhaps, but in that verse, in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, Greek word, logos, but might have been translated message. In the beginning was the message, the message of God. <laughs> Hear this, the message of God is Jesus. We say this a lot around here, we probably should say it even more often, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is about, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is trying to say, look at Jesus. If you want to know what's important to God, if you want to know how it is that God aches or what makes God's heart pound, if you want to know anything that you need to know about God, you don't have to look any farther than Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. This is the message. The message has a name, and the message is Jesus. And beyond that, that message is coming here. <laughs> Later on in John 1, and the Word, or the message, became flesh. The best sermons have skin on them, right? Don't answer that. Okay, and the word became flesh and lived among us and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. I love a nativity scene. I love a nativity scene because of what it communicates. The technical term that it communicates is this term incarnation. When God takes on skin and flesh, but I think there's more to say about it, and I've tried to write a little bit of this out for us. The new thing that God is doing is called the incarnation, where God takes on skin and travels the distance all the way to where Mary and Joseph and shepherds were trying to make a living all the way to where we live, where the poor live hand to mouth, where refugees run or live in tents having been driven out of their homes, where the vulnerable live in fear, where the persecuted seek safety, where the isolated and frightened hide in silence, where the desperate and those in pain and those in great anxiety and those in despair and those who just don't know and can't pair to hope, where all of those gather in huddled masses. God in Christ comes all the way there and then blends in, <laughs> experiencing all of that, everything, all that makes life, life, and all that makes humanity, human. And for years and years and years, this message that took on skin lived among us in the neighborhood, not protected from the terrors of being alive. And why? Just to get to us. God doesn't save us while perched above. God saves us while walking beside, while seated beside, while among us, while one of us. God in Christ comes all the way here in the hopes that we'll get all the way back to God. In other words, like the prophets were quick to say, God is up to something again. Something in keeping with the nature and the character of God, but something new, something different, like the prophets were saying often throughout Scripture. And this is why prophecies aren't so much prediction as if the words of the prophets had meaning only for us and not for the people who heard them in their original setting. But we read these ancient words understanding their context and their meaning for the original audience. And then we look up and see that God, being God, is doing it again is doing something new again. New, yes, but somehow familiar and characteristic of the God who pursues, who reimagines, who rescues, who liberates. And our hearts beat a little faster as the thought comes to mind, maybe this is God doing it again. God seems to be on the move again. I wonder what the imagination of God is forcing into reality now, forcing reality now to consider. Back to Grandpa Joe. I don't mean to say that somehow Jesus is our golden ticket. <laughs> I don't know that Jesus comes with a promise of wealth or fame or chocolate. That'd be great. But the coming near to us God will never leave our side. 
The coming near to us, God, is always assembling and reassembling something new, something different, and always with an inexhaustible supply of hope. Grandpa Joe dances, but it's because of what the golden ticket promises. It's something new, it's something different, and something more, but it's still just a golden, golden ticket. But Jesus is for us the tangible evidence of God with us, the God that promises something more, something new, something different, and that's a better reason to dance. God is tangible in Christ. And that's really good when your aches and pains and anxieties are also tangible. God is tangible in Christ. Yes, the incarnation was something new, but it was in keeping with the heartbeat of a God who pursues and recreates and reimagines and sets free God is tangible. God is tangible in Christ. And every time we gather around this table, we work to remember the tangibility of this God, the tangibility of Christ who comes to make a tangible, touchable difference in lives that are so tangible and touchable. I hope you have a nativity scene out somewhere. Uh, the bells have 26. Counted them last night. They have 26. Am I right? 26 nativity? Yes. I hope you have one out at least somewhere, a nativity scene that allows you to see this giant God <laughs> that comes all the way to the small places where you live. This giant God who acknowledges the darkness that we all face but comes and punctures that darkness with his presence in ways that leave the darkness mortally wounded. <laughs> God, help us to learn to dance. God, help us to learn the dance, maybe even the dance of Grandpa Joe, but it's not because of the golden ticket. It's because God is God and God has come near in Christ. And because God has come near in Christ, hear this as we, as we move, as we transition. Because God has come near in Christ, there are no God-forsaken places. Not even where you are. If you're helping us, would you come and gather around this table so that we can rehearse all over again the tangibility of God, the tangible hope of the God with us, the God among us. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. God, make us keenly aware of their tangibility today and may this piece of bread and, and may the cup today be another reminder of how it is that you hope to save it's not just souls, Lord, it's lives. And so may we today, strengthened as we, we will be by the bread and the cup, may we have enough imagination to see how it is that light has defeated, ultimately, has defeated darkness.
In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and to come forward with your hands cupped to receive this gift of tangible grace. Tangible grace. Take this piece of bread, but don't eat it just yet. It'll be pressed into your hands, and when that person presses it into your hands, he or she will say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And then dip it into the cup. When you do, that person holding the cup will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then you're welcome to find a place to pray. And that place might be right back in your pew where you're sitting. Or it might be at one of these front wooden benches. If you come to pray a prayer at one of these benches up here, someone at some point will touch you so that the presence of God is again tangible. If you go to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing, and it can be physical, mental, emotional, relational, theological, any kind of brokenness you can bring with you to that altar, that side padded altar, and we will pray for you and anoint you with oil. Again, the tangible reminder of the companionship of God. Who is welcome at this table? All of you. All of you who understand your need for grace, no matter what you have just done or what you did a long time ago, all of you are welcome at this table so long as you understand your need for grace. If you can't come to us, Jason and Katie will make their way to you. There is, as always here, a bowl of water. And if you need to remember that you are amongst the baptized, that's why this bowl of water is here. Just dip your fingers into this water and something will jar your memory. You'll remember the scene of your baptism and will remember that you are amongst the called, the chosen, the set aside. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat it, remember me. The same way he would take the cup. He held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. New covenant. And every time you drink it, remember me. Remember today the tangibility of grace and hope. The tangibility of light is yours today. All across the sanctuary, if you would now, stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God. Heavenly Father, we are grateful today Knowing as we do, and painful as it is, that darkness and hopelessness can be awfully tangible, we are grateful today that grace is touchable. We are grateful today that your presence can be mediated in bread and cup. The aches and pains of life were all too real, so God, we are very grateful that we can gather as a church family today and remind one another that, man, grace has skin on it. 
It is a good time, church, for you to pray that prayer of gratitude, that grace has come, that the light has dawned, that there has been this blessed intrusion into our world, into our lives, and his name is Jesus. Would you pray that prayer however you'd like to pray it? Father, we confess that there are times when we can be intimidated by hopelessness and darkness and in our own anxieties. God, remind us every time we see a nativity scene and we see the smallness of the Christ child, may we recognize that that is the distance you have traveled to get all the way to where we are so that there are no more God-forsaken places. May we be deeply and keenly aware of your capacity to reach all the way to us, even in our depression, in our anxiety, in our hopelessness. In other words, God, remind us of Christmas. And now hear us, God, as we pray for one another. As we move into these moments of prayers of intercession, God, may Place in your mind's eye someone who you are thinking of now who needs God's very present incarnational life and help. And that person can be someone who's had a difficult year, someone who's experienced loss, someone who needs healing from a disease that might even be cancer. And as God in these moments gives that person to your mind's eye, and that person can be you yourself, would you pray as God gives you those names? Church, let's pray together for a few people who we need to ask together that God might heal and touch and bring his light and his kindness and his healing in the midst of dark places. Lord, we ask that you would touch LaDonna Bennett and bring healing to her life through this brain cancer. God, continue to allow her chemotherapy to work in ways that are miraculous. Lord, we ask you'd be with James Madison as he recovers from hip replacement surgery earlier this week, and as he recovers, God, be with him every moment and step of the way forward. God, we ask you to be with Lynn Caprero. Trudy got to be with us here last night. Ask you to be with Lynn even this morning as he continues moment by moment to get better. Lord, we ask now you'd be with his heart. Lord, we ask you to be with James and Carolyn Shea as they're away from one another this morning on Christmas in different states and in both of their lives with cancer and failing health. God, would you bring light in your presence to difficult places? Looks like the atoms have slipped out, but God, we ask you'd be with June. Be with her, God. We ask, God, you'd be with Betty Rice. We ask you'd heal these women. We ask, God, that you would touch them and that they would know that you're nearby. There's many more on our list and others. And God, we ask that this very special time of year, that your healing incarnational touch and presence would surprise and heal and come about in some amazing ways. Lord, on this Christmas morning, we also pray for the lonely, those who didn't wake up this morning with a family to gather around them. Lord, we pray for our neighborhood and friends who 
may not have had opportunities to exchange gifts this morning because of finances. Lord, we pray for our city. And God, you would ask, we would ask that, God, you would allow us to be a light in the darkness of Oklahoma City. Pray for our nation. We pray for the world. Pray for conflict. And, God, we pray for the peace of your son to rule in the hearts of all people everywhere. Jesus, thank you for these moments you've given us to be your people this morning. And God, would you continue to transform us to look more and more like your son, the ever-present incarnational son of God. And God, would you do that this morning as we pray this prayer? And we're going to pray this morning using debts and debtors as we pray together the Lord's Prayer. And if you're not familiar with this prayer, it'll be in front of you on the screen this morning. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.